Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. In the previous program, I mentioned this matter of the Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 and this strong action taken by the so-called Joint Investigation Team, acronym JIT, JIT, like JET, but with an I, comprised of a powerhouse coalition of the following nations, the Netherlands, Belgium, Malaysia and Australia, and Ukraine. Not to belittle these nations, they are capable of doing that themselves, but the idea that this group of nations would take it upon themselves to go after individuals who report to Vladimir Putin is just a trifle ridiculously symbolic and powerless and futile, but uh, they are very, very important people. They are very impressed with their power and their influence and what have you, so they are taking this strong action. Strong action of issuing national and international arrest warrants for high-ranking officers, officials, in Russia's military intelligence agency, the GRU, in Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB. That is, of course, the more modern, contemporary name for the KGB. It's not a different organization It just has different window dressing. And then there is the Spetsnaz, GRU, which you could say is a department of the GRU. It is their special forces, their elite special forces branch of Russia's military intelligence agency. Three of these who warrants were made out for the arrest of are high officers with these mighty branches of uh, Vladimir Putin's authoritarian, totalitarian Russian Federation gangland regime. The last one, a Ukrainian, one of the so-called separatists, that's right, not just pro-Russian, but in Russia's (laughs) pocket, under Russia's control, and very, very loyal to Putin's regime, and who led a combat unit in Crimea, in Donetsk, back in July 2014. But these four, they're not being accused of actually shooting down There's airliner, no, which resulted in the deaths of 298 people. It was shot down over eastern Ukraine, but it was shot down with a missile launched from Russia's 53rd Anti-Aircraft Missile Brigade. But again, they're not accused of shooting it down. They are accused of obtaining the missile with the goal to shoot a plane. Obtaining a missile, come on, it was, <laughs> it was sent from within Russia. Obtaining a missile, there wasn't one missile sent. There were truckloads of missiles sent. And it wasn't a matter of them conspiring. They're following orders directly from top dog Vladimir Putin. But... Tremendous, the democratic 
leadership here of this JIT. It's just uh, so exciting. I mean, as long as they're going to try to make some sort of a symbolic gesture of bringing those responsible to justice, what they needed to do was to issue an international arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin because he is calling the shots, literally. But, oh, this is the way things are done in the West. And I imagine that Vladimir had a very, very good laugh about it and probably is still laughing about it. But in any case, it is exciting. Yes, he feels very threatened by this. <laughs> so he won't do anything more like that again. Certainly not. Meanwhile, in the powerhouse West here in the United States of America, of course, we are such a short time away now from the official kickoff into the presidential election. In years gone by, in decades gone by, recent decades gone by, if you were getting in this light, unless you were absolutely the favored individual within your party, and if that is the Democrat party, then the favored individual of the Council on Foreign Relations. But in addition, unless you had that kind of connection, that kind of gravitas, and those deep, deep pockets, that great funding, and more even important would be that you would have an army of volunteers, and not just volunteers, but of, dare I say, vicious, thuggish volunteers, yes, <laughs> as well as paid uh, employees. But unless you had that going for you, it would be too late to get in now. The only way that you would be able to prevail getting in this late would be if something catastrophic were to occur. You know, something like what Vladimir Putin was alluding to if the United States of America should attack Iran or should respond to attacks by Iran. But barring those things, it would be too late. And so those who have been serious about ascending to the throne of the United States of America, they have lined everything up long, long, long before. All of the essential, important matters, such as publishing a presidential biography to show what an esteemed leader you are, and to cast your vision before all of those people in power, all of the media elites, as well as the American people, but especially the power brokers and the media elites, to get it out there in front of them and then to have the talking heads, as they're referred to, going through the echo chamber machinations of continuing to put your name and your message out there in front of the people. Well, that is of lesser importance now than it used to be because of the changes in technology. And so Joe Biden, who is one of the old guys <laughs> among the candidates, he and Bernie Sanders, they are, they are the old guard, you could say, even though they are different segments of the party with Bernie being independent but running for the Democrat nomination. What's that about? But it's not that that hasn't happened before. But nonetheless, Joe Biden, 
showing how techno-savvy he is, how modern he is, how up with the times he is. Of course, he launched his campaign via the Internet, right? Streaming message and just really, you know, state-of-the-art stuff. Really impressive. Unlike, remember, George Herbert Walker Bush, late President George Herbert Walker Bush, who did not know what a scanner in a grocery store was about. And so Bill Clinton lambasted him. The Clinton, Rodham Clinton, Gore machine lambasted him and absolutely savaged him over that. Oh, how out of touch he was. But curiously enough, dear old Bill Clinton, he couldn't use technology. At least that's what was reported. He couldn't. He couldn't use technology, (laughs) technological devices. (laughs) And, of course, didn't do his own driving or anything like that, but did not use technological devices. I guess Hillary was the one in the family that was up on that, and I don't know if that's true, but I read it more than once in a number of places about his lack of technological know-how, and yet he was damning President Bush, for his supposedly being out of touch. It was just a trifle hypocritical, shall we say, just a bit of a double standard. But when you're talking about a person who their DNA is to lie, 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 and when they're not lying, they're busy destroying. So lying is just another methodology for destroying, and it is something that you find is a standard operating trait of destroyers. But back to the presidential race 2020. I happen to mention this about a couple senators of color who demanded that Joe Biden apologize for his outrageous (laughs) statements concerning having worked alongside very well-known, famous, powerful Southern Democrat senators who were segregationists. And they demanded that he apologize for this, for this racist behavior on his part, which, of course, was anything but. It didn't betray racism or anything of the kind. (laughs) And when you have Whoopi Goldberg, a woman of color, lesbian, famous, rich entertainer going to bat for you on your behalf, you know, (laughs) chances are that their their, uh, protest is perhaps ill-advised and perhaps uh, they should... uh, be a little more temperate. Now, I'm not in a position of being temperate. I do temper my statements, believe it or not. I do uh, try not to express myself as, as fully as I feel. But nonetheless, Cory Booker, Senator, New Jersey, Kamala Harris, or Again, as I prefer, Kamala. (laughs) Not to be confused with Camelot, but Kamala Harris. Senator, California. And former Attorney General, California. I know when I read about their issue with Joe Biden, I couldn't help but think immediately... Is it possible? I mean, just is it possible? You know, probably not probable, but is it possible that they're trying to get attention, that they're trying to draw attention to themselves, that they're trying to distinguish themselves from the horde of Democrat presidential candidates? Is it possible that they're trying to gain separation there and to build up following and name ID and so on and so forth? as these two senators of color 
being offended by the statements of the former vice president, vice president to Barack Hussein Obama for eight years. Oh, undoubtedly not. But I couldn't help but think that. But dear Cory Booker, booking it to the White House from New Jersey, such a stellar individual, such a stellar candidate. I remember watching a program about him, about his successful uh, campaign. I believe it was for mayor, actually. But uh, in any case... Perhaps you saw that he is one of the Democrat candidates. Actually, I think every last one of them now is supporting this. But he is one of the notable ones who is backing this bill on reparations to slaves, to descendants of slaves. Yes, we must get behind this. And they all have, as far as I know. I think, I think every last Democrat candidate is behind this. But it's such a good cause. It's right up there with the uh, Green New Deal. And I'm wondering if in the formula that they're intent upon here for parceling out reparations, taking from you and I to give to descendants of slaves. I wonder if they are factoring in some other items which would actually diminish the payload. You know, uh, factors like decades of affirmative action, of reverse racism, Okay, of pro-black racism. I'm wondering, are they factoring that cost in to diminish any amount that they want to take from the American government, which is taken from the American people, taxpayers? I think probably not. That's just a wild guess on my part. But I think they're probably not factoring that in. And that's not only with regard to the amount that has been plowed into that, if you will, the actual economic value of that, as far as the university educations, and graduate school educations that have been made possible, that have been provided courtesy of affirmative action, not solely limited to education, though. What about all of those who have received preferential treatment with regard to employment? Oh, my word, that doesn't happen, does it? Oh, yes, every day who have received preferential treatment with regard to employment over these past decades as well because of their being black. You know, black like Corey. I saw uh, something listed here in the last few days about, you know, did you know so-and-so was black? And, you know, you look at them and you would never, ever, ever guess that, that they are African-American or Negroid or such as that. No, never. But, I don't know, maybe he's 2.5% or something like that. Maybe. And so he's black, Right. Well, uh, it's fascinating, you know, as far as what is the biological makeup here that is necessary to be black. It's very simple. It's like with Elizabeth Warren and her American Indian claims is that if there was ever, ever anybody in the family tree, one person anywhere in the family tree that had African descent, then you're black. Then you're entitled to be black, okay? And to receive the due that goes along with that. 
as compared to being white, you know. Oh, but anyway, these are such intellectually honest people. They're really outstanding. But again, with regard to Corey, he is he's just so qualified. Let's put him in the White House. Going back to 2014, you know, just five years ago, interestingly enough, Cory Booker. He stated the following on the floor of the Senate. Quote, this is Cory Booker, junior senator, New Jersey, March 2014. Quote, I just do want to say that right after I turned 17 and got my New Jersey driver's license, one of the earliest places I drove was a trip. The only trip I have ever taken was to Hawaii, end quote. To which a fellow senator, a fellow Democrat uh, Senator Martin Heinrich said, quote, you didn't drive to Hawaii, end quote. <laughs> I just, but anyway, that's five years ago, people. Cory Booker on the floor of the U.S. Senate claimed that the only trip he had ever taken, the only trip he ever took. So we're talking about somebody who at that time had never gotten beyond New Jersey and presumably New York City, that the only road trip he ever took was to Hawaii. He drove to Hawaii. That must have been some trip. Question is, whether he can claim not to have been inhaling. If he wasn't inhaling, how did he manage to do that? But that's Cory Booker, really an outstanding, stellar candidate for president of the United States of America. Meanwhile, I mentioned previously about this Marianne Williamson. Oh, so spiritual. What a spiritual woman. Oh, my. Well, anyway... She received enormously valuable help from the ultra Uber. And when I say Uber, I am not referring <laughs> to the, <laughs> the car service, if you want to call it that. No, 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 no. Uber, as in Deutschland Uber alles, you know, over. German for over. Well, she, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, is the ultimate influencer. That's right. Even though I have spoken of Chrissy Teigen and her, what are claimed to be 35 plus million followers and growing, you know, it could be 70 million tomorrow. I'm really... And then worldwide, who knows, maybe she'll have a billion. Because after all, you know, that's the way it should be, is those that are really deserving, deserving to be followed, they should be followed, right? <laughs> they should have that kind of influence, that kind of Pied Piper influence on myriad foolish people. But anyway, Oprah Winfrey has been queen of influencers for a long time. And uh, Chrissy, even though she's well on her way, doing fabulously in that regard, nonetheless, she has a lot of ground to pick up or to gain when it comes to uh, ever being pronounced as being the queen of influence and influencers because Oprah is top of the heap. Yes, she is. And she, interestingly enough, she not only made Marianne Williamson fabulously successful, fabulously wealthy, by promoting her, by puffing her and promoting her 
to all of the adoring throngs that watch Oprah, listen to Oprah, adore Oprah, idolize Oprah, emulate Oprah, whatever all else, worship Oprah. But in addition to that, she enabled Marianne Williamson to become an extremely successful influencer herself. You know, we have had these different demarcations of of the current history of the United States of America. We've gone through these different ages. If we want to go back back a couple hundred years ago, of course, that we can and actually further than that further than that, make that a quarter of a millennia back to industrial revolution. Right? And then we come on up to comparatively modern day times and we have the technological age and we have the age of communications and so forth. What age are we currently in? We're currently in the age of influencers. And I mean influencers in the worst possible sense of the term. Influencing for ill. What is fascinating is that Oprah should manage to elevate this woman who, while she claims to be spiritual, is an avid proponent of induced abortion, elective abortion, murder by abortion, and of the sodomite agenda, and of the Paris Accords, the Green New Deal, and on it goes. Oh, she's so spiritual. Oh, my. Oh, it's just, it is just fascinating. But, dear Oprah, being incredibly irresponsible, dare I say, to put the weight of her influence behind this woman, launching this woman. Really outstanding. Maybe they can run for president together. You know, sisters in arms. I think that is really the ticket, don't you? Before I go further, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and good and true in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient is due to me, is on me. So, I imagine you've probably seen something or heard something about President Trump's nominee to the United Nations to be the next ambassador of the United States of America to the United Nations. Yes, it's exciting, and it is tremendous is he is desiring to have Kelly Knightcraft become the United States of America's UN ambassador. And for all I know, she may have been confirmed, but she's the nominee, last I saw. And she may have been confirmed by now, by the time I am (laughs) commenting on this. But anyway, she is serving, she's the current U.S. ambassador to Canada. And she, interestingly enough, she told the committee that is responsible for, you know, vetting her, or was it the entire Senate, the Senate confirmation hearing, that she really is not in agreement with President Trump. (laughs) So, uh, but at the same time, she's not as far left as many others. (laughs) Okay, so she is not in favor of endorsing the Paris Climate Agreement. Not in favor of returning to the Paris Climate Accord Treaty. No, 
But anyway, I just thought, thought and feel, believe that it is interesting that President Trump would select an individual, a woman, an attractive woman, uh, for this role, given that the U.N. is heavily, heavily using its influence with regard to such things, and that this woman is not in agreement with him. So I, I just think that's fascinating. Now, you know, that where does that fit under the umbrella of loyalty and, and uh, being in agreement with the president and representing the president accurately and so forth and representing the message that he wants to put forth, communicating that clearly to the United Nations and thereby to the people of the world. It just seemed a trifle irresponsible, if you will, on behalf of the president to choose this woman. More likely, even than being aware of her being the nominee to the U.N., yes, Kelly Knightcraft, KKC. Uh, More than that is, of course, this matter concerning Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Now, I'm sure, I mean, she has taken just a terrible amount of savaging from the left. But as far as I am concerned, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has served President Trump incredibly well. Perhaps you remember Sean Spicer who preceded her as press secretary. Oh, he was just so stellar, wasn't he? Remember, he was the one who stated that even Adolf Hitler had not used chemical weapons, unlike this terrible Bashar Assad of Syria. Yes, he stated that on the record. He's quoted as stating that even Adolf Hitler did not use chemical weapons against his own people or other people's. Really, what did they use to poison, to gas millions and millions of Christians and Jews? Yes, we always hear about the Jews, but millions of Christians and millions of Jews. Yes, their bodies were cremated, In many cases, by and large, they were cremated. Others were dumped in mass graves. Yes, there were multitudes that were shot and, of course, multitudes that were starved to death. But the vast majority were gassed. But that was Sean Spicer, really an outstanding, stellar press secretary, right? Well, Trump didn't exactly get it right with Sean Spicer and took forever, it seemed like, to replace him. But Sarah Huckabee Sanders came along. She was in the campaign. She had been serving him in the campaign. And she was promoted to be press secretary, if you will. Now, I personally have taken issue with the fact that she saw fit to be part of the Trump administration and so forth. But as far as I'm concerned, she served him fabulously well in an incredibly, monstrously difficult capacity. So now she will be leaving her position of press secretary by the end of this month. And the president is seeking a replacement. Maybe he has decided on a replacement. Various different individuals, their names have been floated as possibilities, such as lovely Heather Nauert, who is former State Department spokeswoman, and Katie Pavlich, 
and Carrie Kupek, who is with the Justice Department, and Katie Pavlich with Fox News. But these are some that have been named. Okay. Hope Hicks is not in the mix. Beautiful, beautiful Hope Hicks. Uh, but <laughs> President Trump seems to have a hypnotic power over <laughs> beautiful women. You know, just like <laughs> Donald Jr. But interestingly enough, Heather Nowert was offered a promotion, if you will, previously, and declined it. Instead, so, or rather, she withdrew herself from consideration for being ambassador to the U.N., Heather Nowert did. Now, Heather Nowert... I could see her being ambassador to the U.N. more than I can see (laughs) uh, the current selection of Kelly Knightcraft. But that's not a knock on Kelly Knightcraft, but just to say, again, she doesn't seem like the best fit. But meanwhile, Carrie Kupik, she, of the Justice Department, she was offered a role and declined it, stayed at Department of Justice. And so we'll see what what exciting choice is made. Supposedly he is considering, you know, various different lovely women that are in cable news. So let me offer a suggestion. And this woman is a woman that is very close to the Trumps. Kimberly Guilfoyle, formerly of Fox News. <laughs> she is a bright, talented, beautiful, gorgeous, desirable woman. Playmate uh, of Donald Trump Jr. At least she was a year ago. I... I don't know what their status is. I have not been keeping tabs. You know, I should be finding out what uh, what Chrissy Teigen has to say. She undoubtedly knows the status. But Kimberly Guilfoyle, who has, uh, I think, uh, well, a, a taste for men that are something other than outstanding in character and godliness and godly wisdom, but who are handsome, you know, and so forth. So why not? Assuming she is still Donald Jr.'s girlfriend or what have you, why not uh, select Kimberly Guilfoyle? She is glib. She is charming to the nines. She is beautiful, again, smart, capable lawyer, and uh, I think would be just a stellar selection, personally. But who am I to say? So uh, she's no longer, uh, if she's no longer Donald Jr.'s girlfriend, so what? Bring her on board. If she is, okay, bring her on board. I am not against nepotism. I really, truly think that is such a bugaboo. Don't you? Do you really think that nepotism is such a bad thing? Well, I do not judge these people based on whether they are related, whether they are close friends, amigos, uh, buddies, and buddettes, and what have you. I don't care. What I care about is what they do not who they are. And that's true whether they happen to be family members and friends and associates of Lyndon Baines Johnson or Hubert Humphrey or Richard Nixon or Rudolph Gerald King Ford or Jimmy Carter or whomever. I don't care. 
I don't think they should be precluded from positions because of their being immediate family members or close relatives or bosom buddies or such. But there are others who disagree. I mean, look at royalty around the world. If that isn't nepotism, what is, really? Family businesses. You know, like the Kim family business regime in North Korea. What I have against the Kim regime is not the matter of succession from father to son to grandson. No. But is the evil, is the murderous, monstrous evil of that regime. That's what I care about. But Donald Jr., speaking of Donald, again, Kimberly Guilfoyle's guy, as, as far as I know, he, or he's perhaps he's moved on to, you know, another fabulously beautiful woman, as his father has time and again. Uh, but he had some remarks to make concerning Judge Roy Moore. And there were allegations of sexual misconduct that were raised against Judge Roy Moore. Shocking there, right? Now you're saying you're probably taking that a different way than it's intended. Like, well, of course, of course he's done such things. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the leftists who are absolutely viciously opposed to Roy Moore, the idea that they wouldn't slander him and libel him with such charges, and these charges, they go back, 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 unlike with uh, our current incumbent president. But anyway, Donald Jr. has chosen to denigrate Judge Roy Moore. Donald Jr., who, if you can get past his appealing appearance, his good looks, and his lucrative position, as far as I know, being in charge of the Trump organization, if you can get past the superfice of that, the superficial appearance of that. As far as the measure of the man, he is a midget of a man, and that's being kind and gracious and generous. A midget of a man compared to Judge Roy Moore. Judge Roy Moore is an outstanding man, outstanding judge, but Donald Trump Jr., oh my. (laughs) But, again, he has chosen to denigrate and savage Judge Roy Moore. And interestingly enough, concerning these charges from the left about sexual misconduct, and I just find that so fascinating, given his personal history, (laughs) and his father's history. And when I say his personal history, I haven't heard allegations of wrongdoing. I just know that, you know, after his divorce, he took up with Kimberly Guilfoyle, and, you know, they went camping, and he had her to the White House, and been carrying on and all that. Behavior that, you know, sometime back sometime ago, would have been frowned upon. But, in any case, he takes exception with Judge Roy Moore. How extreme is the exception that he has stated, of course, via Twitter, his father's favorite means of communicating, and so his to, quote, You are, except he says your, but 
Speaking of Judge Roy Moore, you're literally the only candidate who could lose a GOP seat in pro-Trump, pro-USA, Alabama. End quote. He further tweeted, Donald Trump Jr. did, quote, running for office should never become a business model. If you actually care about Hashtag M-A-G-A, making America great again, right? More than your own ego, it's time to ride off into the sunset, judge, end quote. Now, the problem with this, in case it doesn't jump out at you, is that (laughs) leaving alone the first line, which is beyond stupendously stupid, The second one, running for office should never become a business model. It has been stated and stated by insiders in the Trump administration who have come and gone and who have not stated this vindictively, hatefully, or with rancor, but it has been stated over and over and over that Donald Trump Sr. never imagined he would be elected. He ran as a business model. Sure, there are those who will say, oh, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. It has been stated. It has been confirmed. It has been verified. He never expected to be elected. He did not expect to be the nominee of the party. He ran because it was good for business. (laughs) But his son, his sycophant son, he states, running for office should never become a business model. This is not a pot calling the kettle black. This is (laughs) so vastly more severe than that. So much more severe than that. Yes. So (laughs) he, sycophant son for his father, states that running for office should never become a business model, even though his father ran for president on that basis. If you actually care about making America great again, and again, he didn't write that out because you don't do that on Twitter, hashtag M-A-G-A. If you actually care about making America great again more than your own ego, it's time to ride off into the sunset, judge. Oh, this young man, this young adult man, who has five children by his previous wife. He has been such a great American. He's done so much for America, unlike Judge Roy Moore. Talk about ego. The number one, two, and three character features of Donald Trump Sr., Donald Trump Jr., is ego, massive ego, as is shown forth over and over and over again. And as can be seen without resorting to unbelievably coarse, crass, crude, vulgar statements made by the former That is the father. But, and of course, Donald Trump Jr. would never use that kind of language or make those kinds of statements. But, again, really outstanding people, the Trump family. As as I've said before, (laughs) time and again, is that I do not view Donald Trump as evil. If he were evil, then none of the good developments, of the good things that have been done during his time in the White House would have been done. So that has borne out. That has (laughs) 
confirmed what I have said with regard to that. Is that as far as I can make out, he's not evil. But corrupt? Oh, yes, corrupt. He, and again, there is evidence of that uh, amongst his close relatives. But Trump Jr., more on Trump Jr., I know I mentioned this many, many programs ago, (laughs) mentioned this a while back, uh, more than a half year ago. But nonetheless, it bears on this. Donald Trump Jr., because I have referred to him a couple times here as a sycophant. So let me support that statement. May I? Yes, President Trump's son, Donald Jr., he, via Instagram, he sent out this wonderful message, this image, a Christmas tree with a figurine of his father, Donald Sr., the Donald, gracing the top, the crest of the tree. And he had this message, said, quote, couldn't decide between an angel or a star, so I picked both, end quote. Yes, that's his tree topper, is an angel and a star. The figurine of the Donald and an angel. Oh, my. So tell me that I'm wrong when I say sycophant. huh? But in addition to that, perchance you have a Very low opinion of Michael Cohen. I certainly do not have a high opinion of him. He is serving a three-year sentence in prison for committing, among other things, some things that seemingly some others uh, have been guilty of. But he said the following, quote, Mr. Trump, meaning the president, quote, Mr. Trump had frequently told me and others that his son, Don Jr., had the worst judgment of anyone in the world, end quote. Let me repeat that. I don't have time, but Mr. Trump had frequently told me and others that his son, Don Jr., had the worst judgment of anyone in the world, end quote. And yet he put him in charge of Trump organization. Interesting. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. 